welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world out there. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. Did he need a stronger hand? Did he need a lighter touch? Was I soft or was I tough? Did I give enough? Did I give too much? At the moment when he needed me, Did I ever turn away? Would I be there when he called? If he walked into my life today? Were his days a little dull? Were his nights a little wild? Did I overstate my plan? Did I stress the man and forget the child? And there must have been a million things that my heart forgot to say. Would I think of one or two? If he walked into my life today Should I blame the times I pampered him Or blame the times I bossed him What a shame I never really found the boy Before I lost him Were the years a little fast? Was his world a little free? Was there too much of a crowd, all too lush and loud, and not enough of me? Though I'll ask myself my whole life long, What went wrong along the way? Would I make the same mistakes if he walked into my life today? If that boy with a bugle Hi everybody, 
I had a very happy birthday on Tuesday and thank the many of you who reached out to me with such lovely greetings. The end of the day was saddened by the news that Angela Lansbury had died that very morning, California time. What we just heard was her in the original cast recording of MAME singing that amazing number, If He Walked Into My Life. I'm much more a fan and aficionado of Lansbury on the stage than I am of her work on either the small or the large screen. But she was a pro. She excelled in everything that she did. And she appears to have been one of the kindest people in the business. So let us salute her, lift a glass to her, and celebrate her extraordinary accomplishments in a career that lasted eight decades. Last week was a birthday celebration of Giuseppe Verdi, as well as the many Librans that sang his music with such distinction. Today's episode is one that a number of my listeners have been asking for for some time. You remember when my beloved not-boyfriend had a birthday back in January, and we did an episode called Dave's Picks. Well, this episode is Dan's Picks. I asked David if he would be interested in interviewing me, and he said, No. So I had to make other provisions. At first, I was going to impersonate an interviewer. Perhaps someone from Germany who was interested in horses. Daniel Gundlach was. But I didn't think I'd be able to sustain the joke over the course of an entire episode. And then yesterday morning, I had my flu shot and had, rather surprisingly for me, a strong reaction to it that sent me to my bed for most of the rest of the day. I did manage to rouse myself and I stayed up until very late last night putting together this set list and editing it. So I am really excited about the singers that I'm going to present to you today. And of course, I had more than twice the amount of material to you. So guess what? I'm producing a bonus episode this weekend and that means that even though I have not gotten any new supporters on Patreon in the past, I don't know, six weeks? I mean, come on, people, I thought you'd be giving me some sort of birthday recognition, but alas, that didn't happen. Okay, I'm just kidding. Well, only sort of. But if you do want to hear that episode and you would like to contribute to the upkeep of the podcast, please go to patreon.com countermelody and you can make a contribution there. And anywhere from $2 on up per month or $25 a year on up, don't forget that part, will gain you access to all 45 of the bonus episodes that I have thus far posted. And there will be some live stream things happening. My plate has been so enormously full, but that is the next objective vis-a-vis the podcast. Okay, so let's talk about what I have to offer you today. I have gone through and picked recordings that I've loved since I was very, very young, or singers that I have loved since I first became acquainted with opera and singing, or some combination thereof, and put together a set list that 
I think, will knock you all on your ears. I'm hoping so. Good heavens, I spent a lot of time the past few days listening to these, marveling over these incredible performances. I think that everyone knows now that the very first love of my life vis-a-vis singers was Leontine Price. And I know there are a lot of Leontine lovers out there. So I found a really, really special performance to share with you. That is a very early performance from the year 1959 for a London radio transmission of that party piece that she sang through the duration of her entire career, Zweite Brautnacht, the awakening scene from the top of Act Two of the Ägyptische Helena by Richard Strauss and Hugo von Hofmannsthal. Now, I mentioned that she sang this throughout her career, but I don't think she ever sang it with greater radiance or precision. It's also remarkably free of mannerisms. Anyway, I am not here to diss Leontine. I revere her, I love her, I worship her, and she, as I've said so many times, was my gateway to opera. So, to lead off this episode, here is Leontine Price singing Zweite Brautnacht. was, I'm not sure how to put it, compromised when I first encountered Maria Callas. I would say I was probably about 14 years old when that happened, and that discovery was, at first, a rather confused one. I listened to her recording of Norma, the first one, on EMI, and I thought that there was something wrong with the record because I just didn't get what 
people were so excited about about this voice. It sounded hollow. It sounded strident. It was just too damn weird for me. But then, gradually, thank goodness, I came to my senses. And though I did not come into contact with the recording that I'm going to play for you until many years later, it remains one of my primary Kalas documents. That is from her first recording session for Chitra Records in 1949. This is a performance, sorry fans, it's truncated, of the mad scene from Puritani. Begins with the offstage lament, Orendetimi la speme, and then I cut to the end, the Viendiletto, the Cabaletta. There is so much to remark upon in this recording. First of all, the incredible vocal mastery, the interpretive insight, the precision with which she tosses off those chromatic coloratura scales in the cabaletta. We Callas lovers like to call that her string of pearls. Anyway, here is that recording of Puritani featuring the great Maria Callas.
grew up in the era when the Met was just starting to do telecasts in earnest. And of course, the star of those telecasts was so often the great Renata Scotto. I saw her in the very first of those telecasts from the 1970s as Mimi in Bohème. I don't believe I had ever heard her before, but man, did I become an immediate fan. She also has some strange vocal habits. The voice is like Kalas, not flawless, but man, does she have the interpretive insight that I treasure and really demand of my favorite singers. This is from her first studio recording for Columbia Records in 1975. It was an assortment of Verismo arias in which Gian Andrea Gavazzini led the London Symphony Orchestra. And this is one of my favorites. I have so many favorite moments from this recording, but this is the climactic moment from Mascani's opera Lodoletta, the aria Flammen Perdonami. She captures both the pathetic nature of the heroine, Lodoletta, as well as her resolve and her enormous heart. This is Scotto at her absolute best. I love her with all my heart.
Next is another singer who was put by critics into this group called the Kalas Imitators. That is the Hungarian soprano Sylvia Shash. I do not think that anyone did Shash any favors by comparing her to Kalas. I think she was an exceptional artist on her own terms. She was also uneven. And as you may have noted by now, I'm willing to forgive unevenness when singers are capable of scaling the interpretive and vocal heights that Shash does in this 1979 recording of the big soprano aria from the fourth act of Trovatore d'Amore sull'Ali Rosé. Lamberto Gardelli leads the National Philharmonic Orchestra. Here is another powerhouse of a singer that I only became acquainted with 
a number of years later. I remember when I was in graduate school checking out one of those Lebendige Vergangenheit records from the library. You know those with the, I think they're purple, I'm colorblind, so forgive me, but they're sort of bluish, purplish, pinkish something albums that are a whole series put out by Preiser Records in Austria of great singers of the past. These recordings are not so much remastered as they are simply lovingly presented. But Hina Spani, the Argentinian soprano, was the one that really captured my attention. That Lebendige Vergangenheit collection led off with her performance of the very popular aria from Catalani's La Vallée e Ben Niandro Lontana. This recording, as a number of other ones that I'm going to play for you today, is from the year 1928. And in it, the Italian maestro Carlo Sabaino leads the La Scala Orchestra. There are a lot of my very favorite singers that I have featured on their very own special episodes. 
Most of them I'm not featuring today, but a few of them I simply can't help myself, and I have to play something, some brief excerpt from these singers who have so deeply affected me. As many of you know, I am a virtual worshiper at the shrine of the great French baritone Gérard Souzy. I remember on the back of one of my Souzy LPs reading him described as a modern-day troubadour, and I think that is a very apt description. He tells a story with such mastery. I'm not saying he's anything like Mabel Mercer in most ways, except that he has a way of bringing the text to life. In the very early years of his career, he was also a superb, velvety-voiced vocalist. Once we entered the 1970s, his voice lost a lot of that plush, a lot of that sheen. But in recordings up until then, especially the very earliest set of recordings that he made in the late 40s and the early 50s, he is heard in his supreme prime. Here is a recording of a piece by Giovanni Battista Bassani called Posate Dormite, and the way the legato unfolds when Suzet sings this song just sends me into, well, I don't want to be too vulgar about it, but one could almost say spasms of delight. The pianist here is the superb Jacqueline Bonneau, who was his primary accompanist until the mid-1950s. Non destarti giammai che non saria bastante a soffrirti svegliata. Un cuore amante. Parto, chi ho parto, chi ho parto, ah. 
I do love those stately, old-fashioned performances of Baroque music. I am not going to trash any of my younger colleagues, but for my ear, I so often miss the vocal generosity that one hears in old recordings of Baroque music and Baroque opera. One of the supreme examples of this is again from the year 1928, the German soprano Elisabeth Rettberg, who I don't believe has been heard on the podcast yet, and that is a glaring omission because I love her voice. I think it's one of the most beautiful soprano voices I've ever heard, and this performance of Handel's Rendi Sereno al Ciglio from his opera Sosa Sarme is one of my very favorite of her recordings. Here's another singer that I love dearly and whom I first encountered through my first serious voice teacher, Douglas Morris, when I attended Ripon College. My very first boyfriend was a tenor, and he had been, <laughs> shall we say, assigned a recording of Handel arias made by the Welsh tenor Richard Lewis in the year 1958. I listened as well, and I was hooked. I think Richard Lewis is one of the finest, most versatile tenors of that era or any era. Once again, one of the most important elements to me is if I hear the singer being touched to the core of their being and expressing that to their listening public. This is a very poignant scene from Handel's oratorio, Jephthah, in which the tenor hero Jephthah, returning from battle, has promised the Lord that the first living thing that he encounters he will offer up in sacrifice, in thanks for his victory and for having had his life spared. And guess who the first living thing that he sees is? His daughter, Iphis. 
who has viewed him from afar and comes running to him, and he must, according to his promise to the Lord, sacrifice her. And this is the aria that he sings as he prepares to make that sacrifice, waft her angels through the skies. Malcolm Sargent leads the London Symphony Orchestra. Another singer that I encountered as I was just starting to explore the classical repertoire is that great Ukrainian bass, Alexander Kipnis. I checked out a record from the Janesville Public Library, which was primarily a reissue of him singing excerpts from the leader repertoire that had been made for the Columbia Records label in the late 20s and early 30s. I think Kipnis is, alongside a handful of others, one of the greatest basses ever to grace the operatic and concert stage. Again, he has a nobility of utterance as well as an unending vocal plenitude, which I think finds perfect expression in his performances of Lieder. It was possibly this recording that first hooked me to the art songs of Franz Schubert, a journey that has been a lifelong one for me and which has only deepened with the passing of the years. 
I appreciate a singer who can explore the subtleties of Schubert's songwriting. But I also need to hear someone who has the balls to bring off some of these bigger songs, like the one I'm going to play for you now, Aufenthalt, in which the singer describes the rocky natural refuge in which he finds his home. This recording is also from the year 1928, and Alexander Kipnis is accompanied by Frank Bibb.
I realize that there aren't many mezzos that are being heard today, but I do refer my listeners back to the second Janet Baker episode that I posted just a few weeks ago. I've also done a whole series back at the very beginning of the podcast in a series that I called Mezzo Madness, and you can encounter a lot of those magnificent singers there. But one whom I've featured in a sort of ancillary way, but whom I admire with all my heart, is that sublime singer Brigitte Fassbender, who of course was celebrated for her operatic portrayals, but whose performances of leader in the late 20th century I find to be virtually without equal. She can take a song like Ihr Bild, one of Schubert's handful of settings by Heinrich Heine, and take a text that is almost a generic depiction of a portrait of the beloved appearing to the poet in his dream. The portrait comes to life, smiles mysteriously at the poet, and then begins to weep. The poet himself awakens and finds himself also in tears, and the poem and the song conclude with the words, Ich kann es nicht glauben, dass ich dich verloren hab. I cannot believe that I have lost you. In the way that Fassbender performs it, there's nothing formulaic, there's nothing generic about it. This is something ripped from her very soul. And in this, she's very much assisted by the pianism of the pianist-composer Aribert Reimann, who for many years was her preferred accompanist. This recording is from 1992.
Another singer that I have featured in her own episode is the Swedish soprano Elisabeth Söderström. She's remembered today both for her operatic portrayals, which included Mozart, Strauss, and Janáček particularly, but not exclusively, as well as her recordings and performances with the Russian pianist Vladimir Ashkenazi of the songs of Rachmaninoff, Sibelius, Tchaikovsky, and others. She's not so well-remembered as a leader singer, however, but I suggest to you that she was a supreme interpreter of art song. I saw her a couple times myself, including in my hometown of Milwaukee, and she was an ideal interpreter of song. I'm going to play a 1984 recording for you that Söderström made with Austrian pianist Paul Badura Skoda. Here he is playing on a period instrument, the sound of which does not particularly appeal to me, but given the exceptional performance that Söderström gives here, I'm willing to overlook even the sound of the Hammerflüge. This is Schubert's setting of Goethe's terrifying poem, Er König. I have never heard another singer so clearly differentiate the four voices, the voice of the narrator, the voice of the father, and particularly the voice of the child, who sounds extraordinarily like a child in her version, as well as the voice of the Erlkönig, who here sings with a beautiful plush legato that by its very otherness is eerie and otherworldly. I've never heard a better performance of this song. It is one that challenges all leader singers, and many of them don't really quite manage to bring it off. And Söderström, for me, is supreme here. Nacht und Wind, 
Töchter sollen dich warten, schön, meine Töchter hören den nächtlichen Reim und wiegen und tanzen und singen dich ein. Sie wiegen und tanzen und singen dich ein. So we've heard three varying performances of Schubert songs, but there's a wide repertoire of Lieder, and another Lieder composer that I love so much is Johannes Brahms. He's a very different kind of composer than Schubert is. For one thing, he did not always set the most distinguished poetry. In fact, he usually set poetry that was, at best, third rate. He did compensate, of course, with ineffably beautiful melodies and often very interesting harmonic language. There is something about this song, O wüsst ich doch den Weg zurück, that hits me right in the solar plexus. The melody, the harmonic ramblings, are very appropriate to this text, which is all about a longing to return to the magical world of childhood and to a mother's loving embrace. It is heard here in a rare 1952 recording by the great Norwegian soprano Kirsten Flakstad, whom, again, I have not featured as much on this podcast as I could or should. Even after the war, when she more or less lost her top, the warmth of her sound was uncompromised and her interpretations retained an enormous nobility that nevertheless also hid great interpretive depth. We hear the pianist and conductor Edwin MacArthur accompanying Flagstadt. Thank you. 
One of my earliest LPs that I bought with my own money featured a singer who immediately became and has always remained one of my very favorites. Now, David was just mocking me last week for saying that... Oh, so many singers are your very favorites. Well, this one absolutely is Gundula Janowitz. I have been in thrall to this magnificent voice and profound serenity ever since I first heard that record of Weber and Wagner heroines. And from that 1967 recording, I'm going to play you just a portion of Agathe's Cavatina from Karl Maria von Weber's Der Freischütz und ob die Wolke sie verhülle. Now, lest you think that I'm someone who only likes these somewhat detached interpreters, <laughs> you've got something else coming. In fact, in about two weeks, you have an exceptional treat coming because I will be celebrating the birthday of the great Mexican contralto Oralia Dominguez. I featured her also on an episode earlier this year entitled Women of Color Sing Gustav Mahler. We're going to hear a live recording of the young Dominguez here, aged only 26, giving a definitive performance of the aria that opens Act 2 of Francesco Cilea's Adriana Le Couvreur. 
acerba voluta. This is just a portion of that recording. But man, you hear the depth of this sound, but the clarity as well. Listening to her these past couple weeks has been an absolute revelation for me, and I can't wait to share more of her with you. But here she is. Even though the sound is not ideal, I think the intensity of her voice and her portrayal both come through. putting together my set list today, I found myself with so many great tenor performances. Now, it was interesting. I find that my favorite records feature either vocal thrills or interpretive depth. And sometimes, as in Callas's Puritani, both of those things are combined. And sometimes, as in recordings by Franco Corelli and Chandor Cogna that you will be able to hear on the bonus episode, it's just pure vocal thrills. But you know, sometimes those thrills are also enough to bring chills and, in fact, tears. And here's an example of that. This is the Swedish tenor Nikolai Gedda. One of my listeners has asked me to feature him on an episode, and I am in the midst of preparing that one as well in the coming months. But as a little placeholder, here's his recording of the aria Mes Amis Écoutez l'Histoire, which was made in 1963. And this was the Role in which the very young Nikolai Gedda made his first overwhelming personal success in the early 50s. <laughs> Oh, 
Gedda, of course, is celebrated as a singer of exquisite taste. He also frequently was able to dip into the well of exceptional technique and vocalism to bring us recordings like the example we just heard. Gedda's skill as a linguist was really celebrated. There were so many languages in which he performed and pronounced the words like a native speaker. But I gotta say, there's nothing like hearing French music sung by a native French speaker. This has been one of my most vulnerable points as a listener. When we get someone pronouncing the French language the way we're about to hear it, I could just melt. And I do melt, in fact. This is the great French dramatic tenor Georges Thiel. I think I'm perpetually in crush with him, his artistry, and his voice and probably my favorite of his many, many recordings is the one of the complete and very brief Act 5 of Charles Gounod's Romeo et Juliette. This recording was from the year 1929 and features, alongside Georges Thiel, another exceptional French singer, Germaine Ferraldi, whom I will play an example from in the bonus episode. But the moment that I'm going to play for you right now is Romeo's apotheosis to what he believes to be the dead Juliette. Oh ma femme, oh ma bien-aimée. Oh! 
another soprano who was so often featured on those Met telecasts of the 70s and 80s is that powerhouse Canadian Therese Estratos. In 1981, she made one of the most important recordings of her rather small recorded legacy. That was an album called The Unknown Court Weil. At the time this album came out, and I remember it very well, December 1981, these were indeed forgotten songs, unknown songs. They had been given to Stratas to record and perform by Kurt Weill's widow, Lotte Lenya, with whom Stratas formed a close friendship at the time that she was appearing in the Met premiere of Kurt Weill's Mahagonni. David points out that Stratas was not an exemplar of that Brechtian distance that is upheld as such a virtue in the performance of Kurt Weill. And yet, Lenya, who herself was such a master of that artistic stance, felt that Stratas was uniquely poised to give definitive performances of these songs. So we must balance those two things. I love this recording so much, although it's impossible to really pick a favorite when there are so many great songs on there. But one of my very favorites is the song Wie lange noch, set to a text by Walter Mehring. Just a word about Walter Mehring. He was born in 1896 in Berlin and died in October 1981 in Zürich. He was one of the most prominent satirists during the period of the Weimar Republic and was pursued by the Nazis and eventually fled first to Vienna, then to France, and eventually to the United States. While there, he worked for MGM but did not find either success or satisfaction in that country and returned to Europe after the war. This song, Wie lange noch, is to all appearances simply a torch song, but it was written by Weil and Mehring to be broadcast in Nazi Germany. There's a recording that exists of Weil and Lenya performing the song. It was played as a sort of stealth weapon in Germany for those who were beginning to wonder how much longer the war and the adulation of Hitler could possibly continue. Stratus sings this very much like a cry from the heart which could fit either interpretation of the song. Deine Schilderung gebrochen, 
beginning to wind down here, but there is one more singer that I simply have to play for you. I have featured her on her own episode already, but that's no reason not to listen to her again, is it? This is the Welsh soprano Margaret Price. First celebrated as Mozart singer, she eventually moved into the Verdi repertoire with what I consider to be almost equal aplomb. During the entire length and breadth of her career, she was also an invaluable interpreter of art song. This is a singer whom I first encountered in the 1970s, and I'm going to play the very recording that was my introduction to Margaret Price. She had an enormous range. She had vocal flexibility. She had a very distinctive timbre. She had beautiful technical control. She had such precision and clarity of diction, and she had a way of getting to the heart of what the music was all about. These are all traits that I value most in my favorite singers, of whom Margaret Price is definitely at the top of the list. This is a portion of the aria Vorrei Spiegarvi Dio in this 1975 recording, which I have truncated for the podcast. We hear James Lockhart leading the London Philharmonic Orchestra. <laughs>
joining me today. The birthday celebration will continue next week and the week after with birthdays of two fantastic singers who have not yet been featured in enough depth on Counter Melody. So I hope that you will join me then. This past week, we also celebrated the 150th birthday of the British composer Rafe von Williams. I must confess that I have not played or featured nearly enough British music or British singers, Janet Baker excluded, of course, at some point in the future, and it might not be until the celebration of his 151st birthday, I will do an episode on the great von Williams. But for now, I'm going to close the episode with an excerpt from his setting for 16 solo singers of William Shakespeare's Serenade to Music, which is a portion of text heard in his Merchant of Venice. This is a live recording that took place at the opening of Philharmonic Hall on the 23rd of September 1962, and it features a number of singers whom have already been prominently featured on the podcast. George London, Charles Bressler, John Vickers, Jenny Turrell, Shirley Verrett, Eileen Farrell, and on the exquisite upper soprano line that we hear at the very end of the piece, Adele Addison. Other singers heard include Lily Chukasian, Richard Tucker, Donald Bell, and Ezio Flagello. I think that's everybody. I love the open air bucolic feeling that Von Williams brings to so much of his music. The American Aaron Copeland is capable of evoking similar sound landscapes, and yet they're so completely American, whereas Von Williams is so clearly British. But these primarily American and Canadian singers do a wonderful job under the baton of Leonard Bernstein, who was also not necessarily celebrated as a Von Williams interpreter, but on this occasion provides yet another example of the extraordinarily versatile musician that he was.
my dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. <laughs>